Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Rolling Stone executive editor Nathan Brackett. Today, we're going to hear from Rivers Cuomo of Weezer talking about his upcoming record. But first, we're going to talk about the new FKA Twigs song and some new music from the late Elliot Smith and also Dive. I'm here with Annie Licata, editorial assistant in the music department of Rolling Stone, Brittany Spanos, staff writer at RollingStone.com, and John Dolan, contributing editor. First, we're going to talk about one of my favorite new artists of the last few years, FKA Twigs, who just released a new song called Good to Love. She was recently on the Jimmy Fallon show, and I encourage anybody who hasn't seen that. I don't know if you guys saw that Jimmy Fallon performance. It was kind of amazing, almost like a Grammys-level performance, but in a nighttime talk show, like really mesmerizing and beautiful. She's this incredible artist. Brittany, do you want to talk about this new song? Yeah, so she just debuted this new single called Good to Love. It's her first single of this year. She has only released one full-length album back in 2014, LP1. And then she released an EP last year titled Melissa. So hopefully this means a second album from her coming soon, even though she hasn't really announced anything yet. But I mean, this album, it's still this avant-garde R&B, very experimental. And she's always been a performer who's equally visual as well as like sonically incredible and ahead of the game. And so the Jimmy Fallon performance was the perfect example of how she has this amazing vision of what the song can really translate to. And it's this very romantic, right. beautiful, really just incredible R&B song. So I pray to God to All right, so just a little background on her. Her name is uh, Talia Barnett, and she's a dancer mm-hmm. as well as a singer and, like, a super meticulous artist, like, yeah. so focused on, like, on her visuals. Yeah, she also directs most of her videos and self-produces a lot of the songs, and she's a classically trained dancer, and she's always incorporated a lot of really diverse dancing styles to her, like, Like, her voguing. performances are really just, like, theater, almost. Yeah. I mean, there's, like, aspects of voguing, and, mm-hmm. like, she's looking at the whole picture, like, this particular Fallon performance was almost a mix of like Kanye West influence mm-hmm. and there's like a really stark spotlight and like it, and her backup musicians looked incredible they looked like they were from like outer space <laughs> so I mean I encourage anyone who's interested to check out her live performances or, or see her live if they get the opportunity because mm-hmm. she's definitely someone who could be around for a while yeah yeah this new song is interesting it sort of suggests a little bit of a change or a move into sort of a bigger stage and actually the Fallon performance did too where she took a you know, it's like, usually bands seem so crowded on those things, and she made it right. seem endless. Like, it did seem like, you're right, like in a stadium or like in a Grammys performance, something much more choreographed and sort of thought out than those things. This record, her other records have kind of been based around kind of a tension between this sort of glacial, dark, challenging dance music, not unlike, say, the artist-actress or James Blake, mixed with, right. like you say, R&B and sort of big ballads. This one leans more to the ballad. It's like right. the music doesn't kick in for about almost to the end of the song. Absolutely. It's really, I mean, it's just her and sort of some accompaniment, and it almost has the scope of an Adele or something like It's a big song, you know? Yeah. And her other songs are, are, have a grandiosity to them, too, but there's also kind of this tension. In this one, the last minute of the song, you hear the beat come in, and you hear the song sort of either 
come together or disintegrate kind of at the same time a little bit. But it suggests maybe a, she's imagining a bigger stage for her music in, in, in a general sense, like she's making some kind of move. It'll be interesting to see what the next chapter is of this. Yeah, it definitely feels like it, this one's a little more about the tune. Most of her stuff before this has been super, really beautiful, but lots of synth washes and, and lots of Trenching. focus on the atmosphere. Right, and, right. And, uh, and if this is a sign of where the new album's going, maybe it's like a slightly more melodic. But this one definitely builds to something it big. Does. Yeah. 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 A- Annie, what'd you think of the new FKA Twigs? I love her. She kind of reminded me of Madonna, the way that she was moving. I when I saw Madonna a couple months ago. I mean, I know that's kind of a yeah, no, kind but of both have like dance stretch, backgrounds. But no, but just the way like, that she like moves sure. her body and for sure, um, even in some of her music videos from LP One, like the way that she contorts herself, it's just it's so beautiful and it's kind of like performance art. And Absolutely. I really like her. I'm excited to see what is coming. One to watch. All right, this is actually a special kind of extra vibey edition of what we're listening to. Like all the artists here, are like kind of like, <laughs> kind of like a some sort of like vibe atmosphere. Uh, because the next one we're going to talk about is uh, Elliot Smith. There's a new collection of outtakes, some songs that we've heard before, some that we haven't. Annie, you wrote about the DVD that this is based on. Can you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, so uh, in July of last year, a documentary came out about Elliot Smith's life, but it's also about how he kind of got really big when he did this song, Miss Misery. For Goodwill Hunting. For Goodwill right. Hunting, and he got an Oscar nomination, and then he kind of couldn't deal with the fame. One of the things he says in the documentary is, I'm the wrong kind of person to be really big and famous. So right. he ended up tragically, it was never confirmed that it was a suicide, but they found him at age 34 in his apartment. And so this documentary came out and it was so, it had all of these previously not released tracks and right. it was so good. And I remember when I first saw it, I emailed the publicist and I said, how can I get a hold of this music? Because right. it's so good. I need it. And she was like, I can't give you anything. We don't, we don't really have anything. And I tweeted about it. One of the people right. from They're the- like demo versions yeah. of some of the early tracks. And, and yeah. one of the people from the production company kind of hinted that right. there might be something. And then right. like two days later, he deleted it. So Maybe I was you made like, it happen. So I was like, what's going on? Something might actually be happening. And then they released this album, which has 15 tracks that have never been released before. Like you said, like some of them have been out before in different versions and finished versions. But there are a couple like brand new ones or new ones to listeners. One of them's called True Love. There's this part of this song that I love where he says the woman leaves and tells him that she's going to get cigarettes and then she never comes back. And, and like some really dark stuff too. Yeah. Like he talks about like, yeah, going to rehab and just, you know, he's leave me a room where I can bleed. And it's like, or that's not the exact lyric, but it's like. Well, he says, my heart's been attacked by tough love and he stabbed himself in the chest. That's how he died. Yeah. I mean, like it's, yeah. Yeah, I might feel yeah. old and cold. I mean, but it's the thing about him is it's heartbreakingly beautiful, the, right. the song yeah. itself. I mean, right. he just was so, so good at that. Right. And this album really like shows like just what an incredible musician he was. Like some of the instrumentals are so beautiful. Yeah. They're, I think especially the untitled demos at the beginning, the untitled guitar finger picking and untitled melancholy songs show how incredible of a guitarist he really was. Right. 
obviously his songwriting takes center stage, but he was an amazing guitar player and right. hearing those demos. And I think the untitled guitar finger picking was when he was 13 he recorded that. And right. it's just incredible to right. see that. There's also another new song that I know, Annie, you like. Yeah, it's called I Love My Room. And when I first heard it on the documentary, I used to play it over and over just so that I could listen to the song in the documentary. It's him on piano. So he plays piano. He plays guitar. He can play drums. He can keep a bass line. And, and he he's also, himself. like, singing in a different way. Like, he's a little yeah. kind of singing, not in, like, this kind of classic Elliot Smith-like kind of mumbly voice. He's, like, a little more forthright. It almost doesn't sound like him. It's, like, kind of brighter. I love my room, yeah, I really do, I can just come right in and sit right down. I mean, he wrote that song when he was young, uh, when he was in high school, and it kind of reminds me of, like, I really did love my room when I was in high school. <laughs> <Right>. Like, <laughs> I, I used to hang yeah. out up there, like, right. and... And also, in true Elliot Smith fashion, it still is kind of a sad song, even right. though he says, like, that he's just singing about he loves his room. He also says, like, all I ever wanted was plurality, and all I ever got is anything but company. Like, right. he, he kind of is still sad even when he's singing about his room. Right. Well, all right. So well, now we're going to segue to an equally vibey artist. Well, not quite. I mean, there's some sadness in this one, too, and actually some of the similar themes uh, with Elliot Smith, the new record from Dive. John, I know you're you're a fan of this one. I am a fan. Um, it's it's dive d i i v. It was called you spell it the regular way, but it's uh, after the the Nirvana song. Um, right. And he is another one of these. His name the guy's name is Zachary Cole I think, Smith. Fun, wait, sorry. Fun fact. I think there, there was a Belgian industrial artist right. named Dive right. who they and they they changed Cease the spelling and assist, of the yes, name. I, you yes. Know, yes. Very some crossover problems. Of the, yes. Um, his name is Zachary Cole Smith. It's his second record, and it was in part influenced by his girlfriend Sky Ferreira, who's one of the more interesting pop artists to come out, not unlike FKA Twigs, actually, kind of mixing genres and mixing totally. clear pop with a darker sensibility. And the way she listened to music and the way she listens to vocals, and he kind of talked about that a little bit in the piece he did with us. Another thing I like about him is he's arrogant, which I really, which you know, a lot of arrogant shoegaze guys, <laughs> right. you know, it's like arrogant through my hair or whatever. It's like, he's cocky. He's like, I'm really doing some interesting stuff on my, you know, with the guitar. But, and it, right. it's funny because it sounds like, you know, old 90s rock, but it still sounds great. But it's just like, it's, it's he's it's got a, like a hair metal guy inside him. Yeah, right. He's totally. like, <laughs> it's like a, I am, a, yeah, like a bull God at like, you know, looking at my shoes or whatever. He's like definitely like a, you know, sort of an interesting copy and, and a really good record. Right. It's beautiful. Yeah. That one song, Out of Mind, is gorgeous. There's a lot of good shoegaze music coming out. There is. We talked about it some, seems, yeah. Sunflower Bean uh, a couple episodes ago. It seems like the shoegaze revival is always going away and always coming back at all times. There's yeah. tons of good, loud guitar bands that sound like my buddy Valentine. Don't look at the presidential candidates. Look at your shoes. <laughs> exactly. The first thing that really stuck out to me is Zachary's vocals. That was something that when I was listening to it, it sounded like Dive. And then I was like, who's singing on this song and who's singing on this album? But I think that was a really big step up is just his voice sounds incredible and so clear and very direct. On it's like he decided okay, I need to be a front man. Yeah. yeah. A little <laughs> less reverby so well. and a little less in the, yeah, up in the mix and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, it works so well with every single song, especially Out of Mind, and that was something that kind of made me like Dive even more was hearing 
and Zachary's voice a little bit more. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a really open record. Like I know uh, a lot of it is about his struggle with heroin. So it's kind of always interesting to see artists who are just really open and, and upfront about their struggles. I mean, there's definitely like the combination of this really gorgeous, dreamy music and then super dark, really, like, yeah. forthright lyrics about his struggles with addiction are, is, is definitely, um, I mean, they're kind of buried. You kind of have to find them. Like, you can kind of listen to this record on this, this surfacey level and just be like, oh, you yeah. know, this is, this, is, this is a lovely thing. I'm going to listen to this on a Sunday afternoon. But if you actually pay attention to the lyrics, there's a lot there. All right. Well, cool. guys, thanks for coming. And uh, a lot of these records have been written about on RollingStone.com and Rolling Stone, so check them out. And we're back. I'm here with associate editor Andy Green and John Dolan, our record reviews editor and a contributing editor to the magazine. We're going to talk about the new Weezer album, which is coming out. Andy, help me out. It's coming out soon. Soon. <laughs> Very For people soon. listening in podcast land, it's coming out within a few weeks. I think it's coming yeah. out in March. That's uh, right. April. Yeah. It's April. It's Thank the you. beginning of April. Thank you, John Dolan. Now that I'm editing the reviews, Someone I know has this to now. edit a record review. That's section. right. Here. It's coming time. out in April. <laughs> but we got an exclusive listen and a look. We spoke to uh, Rivers Cuomo recently yes. uh, for a story in the magazine. First of all, let's talk about what's on this new record. It's called The White Album. Not It's not the official name. It's self-titled like it's Weezer actually just does. Just like the Beatles. Yeah. It's right. self-titled, but they call it The White Album. It's The White Album, even if right. it's just Weezer. And it's, can you do all the Weezer albums uh, by color? Yes, from, I can. Yeah, there's in the, order. There's the Blue Album in 94, the Green Album in 2000, the Red Album in 2009, I believe. Right. Yes, Eight? I believe nine. Yeah. I think nine. It's almost every seven years I do this. Right. It's roughly. So now, they're on a rough seven-year schedule the white for, album for the color albums. Okay. In 2016, they're, they are starting to run out of colors, but right. this is the white album. Right. Well, yeah, they'll, they might have to yeah, go to, to like, Burt. Burt well, you got yellow coming up. Burnt orange, the burnt orange. Yeah, yeah burnt exactly. orange. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So this is an up record, This right? This is like kind of like the beachy record. Yes, right? this is their happy up record. Their last record was a return to form of sorts, and this is that, like, on steroids, I'd say. Right. They got a producer that's a Weezer super fan. He used to be the lead singer of a Weezer cover band, and his stated goal. What, what's his name? It's Jake Sinclair. Okay. He has worked with Fall Out Boy with Five Seconds of Summer. Fall Out Boy, I've enjoyed uh, a big comeback lately. Yes, but his true love is Weezer, and he was desperate to bring them back to the sound. So he the... was just producing Fall Out Boy to get to Weezer. Basically, basically. yes. This has been right. his life's goal. Right. Yeah, I mean, he was a lead singer of a Weezer tribute band. Wow. That's how devoted he is. Wow, okay. So he loves That's him. almost like Journey hiring Arnold Pineda, the singer of a Journey tribute band. Yes, it's a very... Not quite at that level, but Right, close. it's a pretty similar thing. Right. And he wanted them to go back to the sonic sound of the Blue Owl Man of Pinkerton. Right, just never used it. Right. Well, and Jake, too. Right. It was both their goals. Right. It's not an easy goal to go back in time like that, but that was the intent of the record. So there's a single already out uh, on this record called L.A. Girls uh-huh. that's already going up the charts, or it's a top ten song on, on rock radio. Yeah. And there's another one out called Do You Want to Get High? So, John, you, you've been following Weezer for many years. As, Seems you know, like a lifetime. From yeah. a, a record reviews editor perspective, yeah. what, what do you think of these songs? Their last record was called Everything's Gonna Be All Right in the End a couple years ago, and it right. was right back to that. As Rivers Blue pointed out, sound. that was probably their best-reviewed record in years or maybe ever. That seems like hard to swallow, but... 
it one of their it was definitely a comeback. And it was Sorry, go ahead. Very yeah. catchy and right. back to being straight ahead. And they've had some weird moments. They had the record Ratitude and Hurley, these strange right. records where it seemed like he'd kind of left the building a little bit. Yes, creative records with with strange guests, yeah. un- unlikely guests. That one song, what was I, I? Where are my socks? Where are my sex? At the end of that, the, the, right. whatever. Maybe. Right. But anyway, right. so he has now. But now, this last record was kind of this return to the to the crunchy, crisp California alt pop of the Blue Album. This one seems like the Blue Album in Pinkerton, but it seems like what's interesting about it is with Andy. We will probably talk about this. This whole thing where he went on Tinder to kind of get lyrical topics. It seems like Pinkerton was extremely catchy, kind of about his tortured relationship to women and love and sex and things like that. And it was kind of this emo masterpiece. This time he's like got a good life. He's married and stuff, so he had to kind right. of outsource so yeah, it. Let, he, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's back it. Like he rivers. He's yeah. He's married. He's got two young children. He's at this place where what is he? In his early forties now. Forty-two or three. He's Forty-two right? or three. He had this kind of Eye of the Tiger moment here, kind of like Sylvester Stallone and Rocky III, where he felt like he had to get back to the streets. Can you talk a little bit about this, Andy? Yeah, and the Apollo Creed that trained him was like Jake Sinclair, if you want to extend the analogy. We're going deep. (laughs) going nuts. So it's a flawed analogy because they were former competitors in Rocky III, but that's getting way (laughs) off topic. (laughs) The broader point is here, yeah, that... He felt that he couldn't write songs based off of just raising kids or something and being a very happy dad. So he had to sort of fake what was happening organically back in the Pinkerton days. The Uh, the playgrounds of Santa Monica were not providing any fodder for loser songs. Yeah, so he would hang out at the beach and whatnot. He was just trying to watch young people in their native environment. Right. Well, it's kind of interesting. Why don't we play one of the quotes from from Rivers? He was talking about a little bit like how he sees himself almost as this Forrest Gump-type persona. I feel like I'm very different from everyone. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But I'm still very social, and I still like to hang out with people, and Mm -hmm. I find myself in uh, all different kinds of mismatched situations, whether I'm on tour with metal bands or um, at Harvard or in a meditation center or at home with my family. Mm-hmm. Or hanging out with kids at the beach. It's like, not sh- sure I really belong anywhere, but um, right. I like being everywhere. So he's like almost a Zelig. Right. Of, of, and of I think that's. I'm not sure if that works. Yeah, and he's self aware. I mean, he's a weird guy, but he knows it. Right. And he's been weird from day one. And that's maybe what, that's what kind of age has brought to him in a sense that, like, he maybe back in the day, not to psychoanalyze him, but he might not have known all his, what his kind of quirks were, and now maybe he does. So now we get to, like, he he kind of made a conscious effort to get out there, and he talks a little bit about, like, kind of hanging out at Santa Monica. Yeah, I mean, he's been in California for his whole life, but he had to leave his house. He had to go somewhere, and he just started hanging out on the beach. He would bring his journal and just sort of just observe, you know? He says he's like a scientist almost or something. Spend a lot of time in Santa Monica and Venice and the beach areas, and there's there's still a, a lot of freaky people here, and just wanted to capture that scene as much as I could. Mm-hmm. And that's that's probably one of the unique goals on the record. But of course, there's always like the uplifting melodies, sing-along melodies, and the crunchy guitars and catchy songs. Right. And and then the you know this is the feel of a live rock band. So the most interesting thing, perhaps, in the way he found inspiration for this record, Andy, why don't you talk about what else he did to, uh, to find inspiration for the White Album? He was in the studio, and he saw his producer, Jake Sinclair, go on Tinder to meet women, and he was like, wow, that's a pretty easy way to go meet strangers. And despite being happily married with two kids, he got Tinder on his phone. He has a profile that, he set as up. He's, he made sure to point out to you that this was only in a platonic sense. Yeah, it is the first use ever of Tinder not for sex. 
It's <laughs> songwriting Tinder. It's a great yeah, way okay. to meet people. It's a great way to meet people. And his profile <laughs> right. says that he's not looking to hook up. Right. That he's looking for inspiration. Well, he actually tell, talked about that. Oh, yeah. Why, why don't we let him talk about why he got on Tinder? I'm just trying to, trying to get out there and, and mix it up and meet new people, have new experiences. I was on Tinder. I still am on Tinder, but my wife's cool. It's, um, it says right in my description. I don't know if you can see it. I guess sometimes I, I, um, I'm, I'm trying to match with the guys, too, so you'd be able to see it. But right uh-huh. now, I think I'm just on girls. But uh, it says, like... Not looking to hook up. I'm just trying to have some new experiences and get some ideas for songs and live life, that sort of thing. And like these are the things I'm interested in. I'm not super excited to talk to people who know that I'm in Weezer. It's, um, okay. It's a lot more exciting when I find people who are interested in me just because of who I am as a person. Uh-huh. So I don't. I don't. I'm not like trumpeting the fact that I'm in Weezer. It's uh, really great when I'm on tour because I can end up in Indianapolis or some city that I'm totally unfamiliar with Mm -hmm. and meet somebody through Tinder and they can take me around and show me the city and the, the cool places to go. And something a lot of us didn't realize, Tinder can also be kind of a city travel guide. You you know, maybe more people should be using it to meet people when they're in unfamiliar cities. Yeah, I just think of these Weezer fans and must see them on there, then they probably pretend that they've never heard of them, so they could go spend a whole day with them. I admire it, and he's honest about it, you know, it's... I yeah, go rivers. It's, it's absolutely. Well, we talked a little bit before about like how he seems a little more self-aware of how why he's an unusual guy, and you, and you talked about that. I don't know if if my friends think of me as like contented. Uh huh. I don't know. I think of myself as like this. Um, uh, half of me is like this this impassive, fly on the wall scientist guy that kind of creeps around the West Side like a ghost, observing everything that's going on, writing it all down in notebooks. Mm-hmm. And uh, but not really participating. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also have this side that's like uh, seeking and and dissatisfied and trying to be successful or uh, wants to work that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't know if, if if any of that sounds like contentment. You guys ended the interview on a nice note. He talked about kind of where he thought he would be when he was a teenager. In fact, when I was a senior in high school, we um, one of the assignments was to lay out. Our, our life plan, mm-hmm. and I said I would be a rock star until I was 40, mm-hmm. and then, oh, wait a minute, what was it, 40? I know it was rock star, classical composer, and then novelist, but I think I think then I was going to commit suicide at age 60, like Maude, uh-huh. from Harold and Maude. Right, yeah. Uh, I think my, my psychology teacher was totally freaked out by that, and she said, you know, when you're when you get to be that age, you might change your mind. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure by now that you've changed your mind on that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was just sort of interested to see how he envisioned the future of the band. The band was about so much about youthful energy when they started and how right. do you age when you're in Weezer. I think that's been a problem they've been facing for a long time. Well, a lot of bands face, for sure. Yeah. yeah. But just so much of what fueled them early on was this sort of angsty, horny type thing that they had when they started. And right. when you're in your 40s, just where does that go? And I think they've finally found a way to sort of get to a place where they can be a mature Weezer, albeit a mature Weezer that goes on Tinder and meets strangers. And <laughs> right. They're segueing smoothly into a midlife crisis. Yes. Yes. All right. And it's working. It's a very solid album, you know. Absolutely. And they're going on a big arena tour with Panic at the Disco this year. I mean, in a way, they've never been bigger. 
Yeah, though that feels a bit strange to me. I always think that's a different generation almost. I sort of wonder how that tour is going to even work. I feel so many Panic fans are really young. I'm imagining maybe like kind of a 25 to 35 demographic I think, of maybe like people spot. who grew up with Panic the Disco but kind of remember Weezer. Right. I or, guess that Beverly Hills was big like during the initial emo right. period. Right. So there's some overlap. Like a Weezer were kind of already a, a, not a classic band but an established band when Panic of the Disco were Oh yeah. Were when out. I went to, yeah. when I would you go to their shows in the early O's, you'd be like why are these children here? It's like they had kind of jumped over. Now they're, they're they're the old alt rock people but they had this whole new generation of of, of right. fans who were kind For of sure. like post emo and I, the, the Panic of the Disco are like a they were inspired by Weezer and I'm sure like it'll be the comparison like you know going to see your dad's dad rock band that you like too or something like that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, yeah. Like, I mean like when Panic of the Disco and Fall Out Boy first kind of emerged in the in the 2000s, and you know after this big emo boom, people looked at Weezer, you know, rightly as this kind of you know foundational emo band. Which is funny because like in the 90s when they came out, all the sort of they were you know seen as this band ripping off indie rock and kind of like you know he was seen as a little bit of an interloper, and then he kind of became this touchstone for like right. you know like you know Pinkerton is seen as this essential album by right. now two generations of fans, right. where you know at the time it was kind of like yeah Weezer, absolutely yeah like when he, when they first came out, I remember a lot of people. Comparing them to pavement, yeah. which I didn't, I never really hear, well, heard, were, yeah, but people were, said it a lot, like, oh, they're this kind of fake yeah, yeah, alternative fake rock band. Yeah. Right. And then, and you know, and they were kind of big immediately. They had MTV hits. And then well, they came out of no, they weren't part of any kind of scene. Like he had been like a kind of a like a metal guy in the in the 80s. Yeah, and he, he tried to kind of make it as that. Right. And he'd then been he, working at Tower Records. Yeah. Right. Right. And then, then Pinkerton, you know. Bombed. The bombed. It bombed, and people saw it as this yeah, kind of strange but dark record. Even before Pinkerton, at he dropped out for a whole year. He was at Harvard. He sort of walked away from his career at the peak of it back in '95. Right. I mean, he's right. you know, which which seemed at the time to be like a self sabotage move, but actually, like all of his weirdness is sort of has actually caused the band to go forward in a weird way. Right. Yeah, when he came back for the green one, it was like, he'd only been gone for four years, but it was like, it was like coming out of the wilderness after it was like Dylan or something. It was like <laughs> right. the return of, you know, it was like, and then it right. was a great album and he just kept cranking them out now for the past like 15 years. Right, right. and there's right. been so many peaks and valleys. Their, their biggest hit ever was Beverly Hills in 05. Yeah, this right. This weird thing. It was this, then they had a really rough like decade. <laughs> they did. That's true. This but these last two, this one especially, I mean the last one was good and catchy. This one the, it was smart of him to have it some, have some kind of lyrical ballast because every song can't be like, "Hey, back to the shack. Let's kick it at the shack." It's like right. Right. these songs are kind of about people in a kind yeah, of a funny way. That, right. And they're not singing about the past so much. On the last album, it was so right. self-referential. Right. It, it was just right. oh, it was I, like, I, "Look at us, we're back on the radio." Right. I'm and in he, the studio. And yeah. he was bashing their past work. He's like, "Yeah, I forgot disco sucks. Sorry guys." I mean, he's like <laughs> right. apologizing for the last few albums. Right. And so now you have to assume now, if this is the Pinkerton one, will they go through their career again? Will he now do like go get his postdoctorate degree or something yeah. and then go like then make another green one and then go through the bad sucking period again? I, I think like, it's always the 90s. I think yeah, right. it's always the attempt to recreate those first two albums. I uh, think this is a good tip for any kind of middle-aged rock star though. Maybe like Chad Kroger from Nickelback should go on Pinterest or something. Yeah. You know, yeah. This just could be a nice thing. That right. Go, re- yeah. go recapture the that The copycats are going to yeah. be following. So, but it seems like Rivers Cuomo, he's, he's not following his 40-year plan from high school, but he's doing all right. I think yeah. the future is bright. Yeah, and they'll be in the Hall of Fame soon, maybe. It's nuts. They're it's like a true classic rock band now. Right. They've sort of crossed that years. threshold that it's no longer their 
the old guys that are washed up, it's they are like these legends now in a weird way. Didn't right? he have some thoughts about that with you? Like the difference between rock and rock yeah. and roll and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and how he doesn't like he didn't he have like a bunch of thoughts about that as well? Yeah, he was telling me that he doesn't like rock and roll. He thinks that is like Chuck Berry and stuff that he that he thinks is dated. He he thinks Weezer is a rock band. Yeah. And right. to him there's a huge difference between rock and roll and rock. Right. That's like a classicist definition of rock and roll, right? That people think of yeah, yeah, like fifties rock and roll as rock and roll. Yeah. And yeah. Everything else is rock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, intriguing man. <laughs> All right. Andy Green, John Dolan, thank you. Sure. You bet. I'm here with Jason Newman, news editor at RollingStone.com, with our reader mail segment. Jason, you recently worked on a piece with Flea of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yes. Uh, it was him coming out in support of uh, presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. That's correct. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came together before yeah. we get into the, the mail? So uh, the Chili Peppers have been fans of Bernie for a while. I think probably they sort of discovered him, I think when a lot of people sort of discovered him in the past year or so. during their Vermont phase yeah. when they <laughs> during, were playing their, in Montpelier Their maple lot. syrup yeah. phase. Right. Um, and they headlined, or they are about to headline when I talked to Flea, a fundraiser for Bernie Sanders. And sort of the, right. the, the interesting thing is that they offered to pay for the rental hall for the fundraiser. Bernie right. would not allow it because it doesn't take money from a corporation. It would be Seemly, Technically, right? the Chili Peppers are you know, a corporation. Yeah. No Chili Peppers no money. Yeah, exactly. So Bernie said no, but he was certainly happy that they played. So we got Flea on the phone for a little while when he was driving to the studio to, to work on the album to basically talk about Bernie and say what he liked about it, why he's supporting him. And, and, and you worked about. with him. He, he, this became an essay kind of written in his voice, kind of an as right, told piece. To. I feel like it's sort of yeah. the best, best way to do it in cases like this. As often happens when musicians wade into politics, there were some strong reactions from our it wasn't, readers it wasn't on universal. either side. On either side, I thought it'd be universally loved. U- universally loved. No. Well, there were there were there were both. Go there figure. was some love and there was some some <laughs> non love. Uh, okay, let's get right into it. Okay, the first letter we're going to read is an online comment from somebody with the username Get to Work People. So. RHCP, will you guys from here on out do concerts with a maximum ticket price of $25, question mark, question mark, question mark? I didn't think so. Right. Uh, so is, the, this, uh, is this unfair? Yeah, what's this? So the idea, I would guess, is that if you are supporting a avowed socialist, then that somehow correlates to changing the entire concert industry immediately. Oh, okay, I get it. And okay. sort of then becoming right. like... You, you know, and as, as Bernie would say, Bernie Sanders is not against making money. Right. Uh, yeah, Bernie really, Sanders is not in favor of necessarily yes. equi- income and, in, uh, and equality, leveling out and what Flea everybody does, makes. Flea does mention that. Flea says in the piece, people try to demonize it like socialism is the next step to communism. That's just insane silliness. Bernie's isn't talking about eliminating the spirit of capitalism. Um, he's not trying to eliminate making something greater yourself and being part of the American dream. He wants to just level the playing field, as Flea says. That would so, be funny, though, if Bernie Sanders wanted every band to be like Fugazi and only charge $6. I would, if, if that if, was part of his platform I with the Democratic National Convention. I would love Bernie to have Convention. a pro-Fugazi platform right. with Ian McKay as a vice president. We're going to talk to his people and yeah. see if we can get um, that. But anyway, I think uh, that's probably not going to be very possible in terms of uh, changing the entire right. concert industry, but it's a memorable goal. Get Get to work, people. Okay, next comment from a reader with a username New Day. Flea makes more than 99% of other bassists. His money should be taken and given to them. Uh, I don't know if there's much to say to that. I did not ask Flea if he was going to give his money to other bassists, so <laughs> right. it didn't come up. But that's certainly, you know, one interpretation of other bassists uh, are going to have to fend for themselves. Okay, and here's another letter from somebody named Man for the Times. Gotta love Flea, but I just don't get what makes his opinion so important. I would say Flea would agree with that. 
I, yeah. Flea I mean, has said, Flea told me, he's like, I am just one man. His exact quote was, you know, I don't really care about politics or the political machine. I just care about this one particular candidate and what right. he can do for people. I think that's a probably the most accurate uh, one so far. Right. Can't dispute man that. Man for the Times did not need to read that if he didn't yeah. didn't want to. He is to. a man okay. for the Times. So, <laughs> you know. Okay, this is from the username GS Rules. Okay, quote, the concept of human beings caring for one another holds great interest to me, unquote. He's quoting Flea here. Fascinating. How much in donations and help does he give those in need? Now, this is actually, you know what? I'm glad he asked that because Flea actually does do quite a bit of nonprofit right. uh, work. He's got that uh, music school. There's a benefit or a concert that he does annually, and he does work with them throughout the year. He's super um, involved. With very it. involved yeah. in it. And, you know, I think the argument is that if you don't publicly say how much charity you're doing, that means you're doing nothing, which is right. probably not accurate. Right. Um, Flea's actually building a, a school in uh, one of the impoverished areas in Los Angeles, a music school. We didn't put this in the article, but he was saying that he's look, working on that. And it's a big cause for him making sure that people who might not have access to music lessons right. in public schools because they've been cut because of budget cuts. Exactly. And, and yeah. just for the record, Chad Smith, the drummer for the Red Hot Chili Peppers, is very involved in Little Kids Rock, which is sort of you know, bringing instruments to, to classrooms and the right. Turnaround Arts Program, which tries to fund lower-income schools through arts education and right. give money to arts education. So, so are, there you, you go. Know, whatever they're, you think about them, they are, yeah. uh, they're, they're, giving, they're giving back. There you, you know? go, GS rules. Okay. Yeah. All right. The last uh, letter or, or comment is going to be from somebody with the username Gigolo Aunt. It's, it's well, you're just, assuming that's his username and not his real name. And not actually a member of the Juggalo Aunt's be, popular yeah. 90s rock that's band. Exactly right. It could be a Juggalo for all of <laughs> It could be a Juggalo. Yeah, uh, okay, just a simple sentence. Make an album, goddammit. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. They actually are making an I album. That's a fair uh, trenchant point. They are. They are in the uh, – Anthony Kiedis was quoted about two or three weeks ago as saying they were sort of in the final stages, but for them that could be a little while. Right. Um, but they are in the recording process. It sounds like it's looking good for this year. Looking good so, for – yeah. It's like, uh, The speculation will be sometime, you know, this year. So I think that's probably – that one will probably get his wish. That person as, will as get his wish. As far as the Gigolo wants – Go though I don't know. You know, yeah. it, it, the Red Hot are very popular among uh, ants who prostitute themselves. So <laughs> it's the jiggle, the whole Jigolo ant community is <laughs> waiting for this album. Take that Jigolo on. Okay, Jason Newman. Thanks so much as always. Thank you. And that's all for Rolling Stone Music Now. You can read all of Flea's essay about why he supports Bernie Sanders uh, and also about the new Weezer album and everything else we've talked about today on RollingStone.com or in Rolling Stone. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.